Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody? You guys are further away. We've got a baptismal here. So how's everybody doing out there? There, there, there. Good. I want to welcome you if you're online, if you're here in the room. So like Pat said, we're continuing this series called Next Level. And it's really all about just doing life with God so we can live the best life possible. And basically, it's about pursuing God's blessings in life. And I'll tell you up front here, I can summarize this whole message today in a single line. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this to a church in Galatia, and he used an agricultural metaphor. If you're a farmer and you sow or plant corn, what do you reap? Okay, apparently this is not an agricultural crowd, so let me try this one again. (laughs) If you sow corn, what will you reap? Corn. Very good, because you reap what you sow. I know, I set you up. I made that sound rhetorical. Bad pastor. Okay, all right. So that's the whole message. It's going to be a very, very clear message. You reap what you sow. Now, part of why the Bible teaches this is the fact that we think we can evade it. Deep down inside, if we're honest, we all think that we can evade this truth. We do. And that's why it's got to be addressed. So a number of years ago, and I shared this back when it happened, I was on my way to church on a Saturday morning for a men's breakfast, ironically enough, okay? And and I'm coming up here for this breakfast. It starts at 8 o'clock, right? And so I'm trying to allow plenty of time. I left my home at 7.55, okay, something like that. (laughs) And I'm supposed to kick this thing off with prayer at 8 a.m. sharp. And I'm running behind. I know I can't afford to be late, so I'm racing down the inner loop, okay? And I'm coming. I'm two, like, just, just two minutes away. I'm 7.58, okay? And I'm at the stoplight right out here. And I'm thinking, I got this, no problem. And you know how you're waiting at that stoplight and you're waiting for it to turn green? And you're like, oh, come on, come on, come on. So finally, the light turns green, and I mean, I punch it, Okay. <laughs> And my vehicle at the time was an FJ Cruiser, not exactly discreet, so it revved up rather loudly. And I I take off from that light, and on my way up to the speed limit, which is 40 miles an hour right here, I I went slightly above that, okay, 45, maybe 47. But then I looked down, I noticed the air in my ways, and like the good citizen I am, I immediately tapped on the brakes, slowed down, everything was going to be fine, right? Wrong. About that time, I look in my side mirror and I see these flashing red lights. And I'm like, oh, man, you have got to be kidding me. So now I'm going to be late to the breakfast and all this is going on in my head. I'm going to have to explain to the guys why I'm late. And, you know, I pull over to the side of the road, right, and, I, and I'm frustrated. And, and in my mind, I don't know exactly what happened. In my mind, I heard the police officer over the intercom system say my name. And, and, and it, it, in my mind, it was something like, Brian, pull into the parking lot, okay? That's what I thought I heard. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, whoa, how does this guy know my name? And I'm trying to put two and two together. I'm thinking, ah, I know. This is my buddy Aaron. He's a police officer in Georgia. I bet he's playing a practical joke on me. And so I pull into the F.T. Woods parking lot, and I start laughing out loud, which, by the way, I don't recommend that you laugh out loud when a police officer pulls you over. 
<laughs> I look in my mirror, he's coming, I'm like, oh, this is not Aaron. <laughs> Meaning he doesn't know me, he didn't say my name, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't that. And so he walks up to the window and he says, do you know why I stopped you? Don't you hate it when they ask that question? Anybody else hate it when they ask that question? Go ahead, all right, all right. Police officer's like, well, we're supposed to. And, and so I'm just going, oh, look, you know, look, officer, I'm in a hurry, okay? Uh, you know, I'm a pastor, I work for God. <laughs> Tried everything, right? And I'm supposed to be at that church, it's right there, right across the park. I'm supposed to be praying right now. And I'm thinking, I gotta get through this as quickly as possible. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna save us all some time. I said, you know, I'm guilty, you know I'm guilty, I know I'm guilty, I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. And, and then he leans into the window and says, well, that's interesting. You know, I haven't even told you why I pulled you over. I didn't say you did anything wrong, and yet you keep saying I'm guilty. What exactly are you guilty of? <laughs> and at that point, I'm thinking, wait a second. Like, I was only over the speed limit for a few seconds. He probably doesn't even know that. I mean, all I really did was punch it from a light. I mean, that's not against the law, not really. And so I said, you know, look, officer, I'm a pastor, you know, so when I say I'm guilty, theologically speaking, I'm guilty, you're guilty. We're all guilty if you think about it, right? <laughs> so we end up in this deep theological discussion, which he won, by the way, okay? <laughs> Anyhow, that, that's a slight embellishment of what happened. But when it was all said and done, that morning, he gives me a warning, lets me go. And, and I got to tell you, that particular morning was just a little reminder not only with traffic, but with all of life, that there is what might be called a law of consequences. This is like reality 101, and it's just this simple. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Now, the odd thing about the human condition is that we think in certain situations by some magic that this law of consequences doesn't apply to me. Like I can spend and spend and spend and not get into debt. Or I can lie and not get caught. Or I can let my temper fly and not damage relationships. I can uh, avoid disciplining my children and they won't get spoiled. Or, or I can neglect the Bible and prayer and worship and still grow close to God. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How about this one? I'm saved by grace. So I can live however I want. I can live like Hades and it's no big deal. Wrong. Dead wrong. Let me read you this passage written by the Apostle Paul to believers in Galatia. Check this out. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal, you could read abundant into that word because it's in there, eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. Okay, three things to note in this passage. First, God will not be mocked or fooled. Like even if we deceive ourselves, which we do a lot, we will still reap what we sow. Second, this is written to believers, to, to Christians. And third, this passage is not about our eternal destiny, but rather about the quality of our life here on earth and one day in heaven. That phrase, eternal life, that, that phrase right there, it speaks of not just a quantity of life, but also a quality of life. And we can begin to experience this abundant eternal life in the here and now. So again, 
your faith in Jesus, that's what determines your eternal destiny. Whether or not you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and that he'll give you the gift of eternal life. It's a free gift entirely of God's grace that none of us deserve. So heaven or hell is not the issue here. If it were, we've all sowed wrong, we deserve hell, end of story. Now this is about how we live our lives after we're saved by grace and whether we have fruitful lives here on earth and rewards in heaven. We reap what we sow. Now, our attempts to defy and deny this law of consequences know no bounds. Okay, do you know a whole book of the Bible, the book of Judges, deals with this issue? And in the beginning of the book, Israel is at war, they're at battle, and we encounter this odd little story. It says, they, Israel, found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites, Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Okay, that's kind of a gory way to start a book of the Bible, isn't it? Kind of a creepy story. You know, if you grew up in Sunday school in my generation or before, the main educational technology was the flannel graph, right? How many of you remember the flannel graph? Raise your hands. Raise them up high. Okay, a little less than Sun City. I get that. All right. Yep. Okay, if you do remember a flannel graph, has anybody in here ever seen a flannel graph with this guy Adonai Bezik on it with, with no thumbs and no big toes? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Like, did your Sunday school teacher ever hand out clay and say, I want you to form little severed digits and take them home to your parents? <laughs> Tell them about Adonai Bezik. Here you go. Probably not. I doubt that. So why, why, why? Why is that story in here? It turns out there's a really, really important lesson in it. And I'm telling you, if you can learn this lesson, it'll save you a world of hurt. What's ironic is we actually get the lesson from the man himself. Adonai Bezek said 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. Well, they lived in a violent day, but even for back then, this is pretty bad. And Adonai Bezek does it not once, but 70 times. It's like what he does. And after he defeats these kings to intensify the humiliation, he feeds them by having them eat scraps from underneath his table. Like what kind of an animal does that? Huh? A dog. He's purposely, deliberately turning these kings into dogs. And he says to himself, it's working. I'm getting away with it. Like I, the nature of the world is such that I can you know, sow cruelty and terror and reap power and honor and glory. Wrong, buddy. So wrong. I mean, for a while he does this until one day he's the defeated king. And now he's got no thumbs and no big toes. And notice, 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 he doesn't say, my enemies did this to me. He doesn't say, the Israelites did this to me, which we would expect. No, this pagan guy gives us the theological, spiritual moral of the story. He says, God has paid me back for what I did to them. Hmm. All those years, all that torture, all those victims, all the time, I thought I'm getting away with it. It seemed like things were going well. But the whole time, somebody was watching. Somebody saw it all. Somebody noticed. Somebody cared. There is a higher power, and justice has come my way. 
you reap what you sow. In other words, it's not just that there is a law of consequences built into the universe. No, no, no. It's much more personal than that. There is a God of justice over the universe. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, justice is not going to go unaddressed. You reap what you sow. The whole book of Judges is God trying to teach people that if they defy and ignore him, if they sin and do what is wrong, there will be consequences. In fact, you, you see this all throughout the Bible. And people face pain in every which way, physically, relationally, financially, spiritually. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that some Christians in the church, some Christians were sick or had died because they violated God's ways. And here's the cycle in the book of Judges. We get a summary of it in chapter two. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. The Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. And then it says, they were in great distress. They were in great distress. And after that, it says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. You see, there's a cycle going on in this larger story of Judges. God brings his people into a land so that they might know the life of shalom, of peace. But people, they tend to get kind of complacent when things are going well. Have you noticed that? And, and when they get complacent, they start to get self-sufficient. And when they get self-sufficient, they, they kind of forget about God. And that leads them into sin. And then sin always leads to trouble and distress, which means there's, there's going to be pain. And when there's pain, eventually people remember God. You know, the phrase that keeps popping up is this. They cry out to God. They cry out to God. And when they do, God is a God of mercy, and he hears them, he responds, he delivers them. He raises up these deliverers called judges. And then there's peace in the land for a season. But then the cycle repeats itself all over again. Folks, that's the whole book of Judges. And certain phrases keep popping up, starting with the first cycle in chapter 3. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what happens? Well, they fall into the hands of their enemies. They're in great distress. But when they cried out to the Lord, there's that phrase, they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Now, you know, we call these deliverers judges, but that can be a bit misleading. These were not guys in a courtroom wearing robes. These were really political, military, and spiritual leaders. They were actually the highest authorities, the top rulers in the nation of Israel because there were no kings. So Othniel, he's the first one. 
Okay, he leads them, they win their freedom. It says, so the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Okay, that phrase there, the land had peace, is really, really important. That's shalom, peace. That's God's intent. That is life with God. Now we read this and we hope, we hope, we hope, well, maybe they learn their lesson to stay devoted to God. But then the very next verse says again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And once more, sin leads to pain because you reap what you sow. And God is trying to help people get this. You reap what you sow. So they're in pain. But then, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Isn't that kind of an interesting little aside there? Did you catch that? It says a left-handed man. Why does the writer point out that Ehud was left-handed? Well, it's because God rarely uses left-handed people in his work. You know, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. No hate mail from you left. God loves left-handed people, all right? That's not it. I brought that up so I can show you the Hebrew here. It's really cool. Literally, the Hebrew phrase is, he was hindered in his right hand. Like it could be translated as, he was handicapped in his right hand. It may be that the writer wants us to understand that God is using an individual with a disability, with a challenge to deliver his people. It may be that God is saying, I can use a wounded healer. But I'm telling you, these judges are really, really interesting characters, okay? Anyway, God raises up Ehud. The land has rest for many years. Ehud dies, and guess what happens? Israel forgets about God. Now, the next time around, they fall under the oppression of this general named Sisera. And I'll show you what a cruel guy Sisera was. One time, he was late coming back from oppressing the Israelites, and his mother wondered where he might be. And here's what the text says. The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman, actually that term in Hebrew is closer to a girl or two for each man. Whew. In other words, picture this. The women of Israel were being brutalized by Sisera and his troops. These are real women, like somebody's daughter, somebody's sister. A girl or two for every man. And this goes on, not for a month, but for 20 years. Israel finally cries out to God. And again, it's so interesting in Judges, isn't it? You reap what you sow, two women for every man. So God raises up a judge. And notice this one. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of of Lapidoth was leading Israel at that time. A couple of unusual things about this judge. First of all, she is a prophet. I don't know if you know this or not, but she was the only one of all the judges in the book of Judges who walked so closely with God as to be entrusted as a messenger of his word. Like she is a judge and a prophet. And has anybody noticed anything else kind of different about this particular judge? Anyone? Yeah. She's a woman. Hmm. Now, we know from various passages in the Old and New Testaments that God is kind of big on the idea of men taking the lead in marriage, in the church. You ever wonder why that is? I can give you at least one reason. It's the fact that the default mode of males, those with the XY chromosome, is to sit back, to slack off, and just say, okay, let, let, let the women 
take the lead. I mean, this goes all the way back to Eve who ate the fruit while her husband, Adam, was standing right there watching the whole thing unfold. He was not leading. This has been a problem since the very beginning of time. And so God tries to command man, hey, step up. Don't be passive. Take the lead. But what happens when men won't take the lead? I'll tell you what happens. God will raise up women to do so. He will. Hear me clearly on this. Deborah was the top leader in the land. She was the number one official in the nation of Israel at this time. Now, we just read it here. Her husband, Lapidoth, was a part of Israel, but he's one of the people that Deborah was leading. God's going to accomplish his purposes one way or another. That's what this story shows. Even Barak, the military commander, was slacking in his male leadership role. Here's how the story unfolds. It says, now she, that's Deborah, sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, behold, the Lord, the God of Israel has commanded, go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Now check this out. Then Barak said to her, if you will not go with me, or if you will go with me, rather, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Wow. Folks, this is the military commander of Israel. It's like, hey, if you're not going, uh, no thanks. She said, okay, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you're about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. So, there's a battle. And this time around, Sisera loses. And after he loses, he's scared. And so he goes and he runs and hides in the tent of his Israelite woman. Her name is Jael. And Sisera happens to be a friend of her husband's. Now, the reason he goes in there is because in the ancient Near East, nobody would look for a general in the tent of another man's wife. So he's exhausted. He's tired. He goes in and he takes a nap. Now, Jael has been watching him oppress her people, two women for every man, for 20 years. And here's what the text says. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Ooh, yeah. Welcome to Hill Country Bible Church, okay? <laughs> we preach the fun stuff. And we preach this whole book right here. Folks, for 20 years, Sisera treated the women of Israel like subhuman objects, worse than animals. Two women for every man. Mm -hmm. He thought he got away with it. I can sow sexual conquest and cruelty and reap pleasure. But did you catch God's irony here? <laughs> Sisera ends up with two women, doesn't he? One of them's Deborah, who wipes out his army, and the other one is Jael, who drives a tent peg through his skull. Two women? That's no accident. That is God's payback 
That is God purposely showing everybody, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And by the way, how strong would you have to be to drive a tent peg through somebody's skull and into the ground? Pretty dang strong. I'm guessing Jael's husband, Heber, was very well behaved after that particular episode. Yeah, those are the things that I think in my mind. I'm not sleeping for a couple days at least. Anyway. Whew. <laughs> then the land had peace for 40 years under Deborah. And you wonder, okay, yeah, this time they're bound to get it. No. Nope. Very next verse, once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This cycle gets repeated 12 times in the book of Judges. There are 12 judges in this book, and in every case, either explicitly or implicitly, we read about this cycle, sin, pain, cry out, deliverance, sin, pain, cry out, deliverance, sin, pain, cry out, deliverance. It's like God is trying to say, hey, if you don't get anything else, would you please understand that if you didn't find me and you, and you do what is evil, it's going to lead to this. In fact, it gets even worse. By the end of the book of Judges, it's unbelievably bad. And a new refrain pops up starting in Judges 17 until the end of the book. It goes like this. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Hmm. By the way, whose world does that sound like? Kind of like ours? It's a mess. But it's how the book ends. Everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes. That's life apart from God. That's life without God. There's a law of consequences. You reap what you sow. It's true for nations and it's true for individuals. It's what God tries to teach his people over and over again. He wants people to get this. See, when the people maintained justice and they didn't exploit the widows or the orphans and they honored God and God's ways, man, Israel had prosperity. When they didn't and there was corruption, oppression, greed, all those things, society suffered. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. Let me just say, this is not some mechanical guarantee of outcomes that you can just see like blip, blip, blip. It might take a while. Martin Luther King said this. He said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Like in eternity, God reigns. Nobody gets away with anything. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that this whole principle is supposed to be used for the good. It's supposed to be positive. In fact, that's why the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the good stuff, right? Two weeks ago, I made the very clear point from one of Jesus' stories that he offers a hundred times return on your investment for him and his kingdom. Like God is so eager to bless you, to blow you away with good stuff. Last week, I spelled out seven unique blessings that Jesus promises for those who sow good things in life. So if you miss those messages, go back. They should encourage you big time. But we can't just talk about the good side of this principle and not look at the other side. And so all this begs the question, like, what are you sowing? If you sow to the flesh, it's going to be a mess. It's just going to be a mess. But you can sow to the Spirit. Like, you can sow love and joy and peace. And you need to honestly ask and answer the question, you know, what am I sowing right now that, that I might not want to reap? Like, what am I sowing that I want to reap? And what am I sowing that I might not want to reap? 
Like if you're a parent, let me ask you, are you sowing patience and love and laughter and discipline and time? You know, if you're dating, are you sowing honor and sexual purity? Really? In your financial life, are you sowing generosity? In your friendships, are you sowing loyalty? In your speech, are you sowing truth and love? In your habits, are you sowing self-control? Those are some good things to think about. And again, as I close here, let me make something abundantly clear. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is one issue over which you don't reap what you sow. It's the issue of heaven and hell. We're all worthy of hell, but Jesus reaped that penalty for us on the cross. So if you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to give you the free gift of eternal life, you're safe from the consequence of hell. But beyond that, folks, this truth is immutable, unchangeable. It's fixed in in the laws of the universe. It's fixed in the very character of God. And let me remind you about God's character. God is so, so gracious. The Bible says he's very patient and he is slow to anger when it comes to payback. But eventually... This truth kicks in. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing in your word that we encounter this God of abundant love and grace and goodness, and mercy, and forgiveness. But at the same time, you don't leave justice unaddressed. So God, remind us of these things. And I pray that these principles, we could just use them in a positive way. That we could just say, hey, I don't want to sow negative seeds. They're going to lead to just destruction and and, and pain in my life, pain in other people's lives. Instead, I want to sow good stuff that'll bear fruit. And God, you are so good, so generous that that you bless us beyond what we can even ask for or imagine when we sow for the good. So this week, Lord, help us to take a look at our lives, to think about what is it that I'm sowing? And maybe I've sowed some bad stuff and and I'm concerned about that. You can go in there and you can just weed stuff out and plant good seed. And God will see that. God will honor that. And that goodness will cover over a multitude of sin. So God, we thank you so much for the fact that you are a perfect God, perfect in love, also perfect in righteousness and justice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have a prayer concern, something you'd like someone to pray for you with, uh, we're going to have some individuals on either side of the alcoves up front here. They'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, you guys have a great day in the Lord.